Today we are going to be talking about prayer. We will probably be spending a considerable amount of time on the topic of prayer because uh, starting next week we should be starting up on the Lord's Prayer, which is a very important prayer that we need to discuss. And today we're going to be examining two ways of how not to pray, and then we will briefly touch on how to pray. And of course, that's going to lead us into our discussion on the Lord's Prayer. So let's jump right into the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Now I don't know if you caught it, but the two ways that Jesus said, not to pray, are like the hypocrites and like the pagans. And if you need an easy way to be able to remember this, a mnemonic device, then you can look at it as don't pray like the hypocrites and don't pray like the heathens. Hypocrites and heathens both have an age. So it's not politically correct, but these are the words of Jesus, so we're going to go with it. Let's start out our study by addressing the way that pagans pray. It uses the word in NIV, Babblings. Now, when you look into the other translations, you get different words or phrases that describe the word used in this instance. Some of the other translations use words like thoughtless repetitions or empty phrases. All right, I know that not everybody's a fan of this translation, but the message actually puts it brilliantly. The message says, The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. <laughs> Amen. I've heard all sorts of people pander, quote, the right way to pray. But when I hear these verses, I think of several experiences of mine, and one of which that stands out probably more than the others uh, was when I went to this event, when I went to the school at Cleveland State University, it was actually outside of Cleveland somewhere, and it was called The One Thing. I remember it being a unique worship event. You would not have recognized the songs we were singing. Uh, they were songs that were oftentimes comprised of scripture verses, which I thought was pretty neat. What we would sing is that we would sing the same set of verses over and 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 over until the band decided to finally move on. And in general, you know, if we're doing that with scripture, that's not necessarily wrong per se, but I don't remember any of the verses that we were singing in this repetitious sort of manner except for one. And here's what it was. We are not singing Vain repetitions. 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 And if you're anything like me, you start to think, I think these people are trying to convince themselves that they are not singing vain repetitions. And then it also occurs to you that I think they are singing vain repetitions. 
Turns out this event was hosted by a group known as the New Apostolic Reformation. And this same group came out with a Bible translation known as the Passion Translation of the Bible. And it defies the traditional methods used for translating the Bible. Instead of going strictly from the Word of God in its original texts in its original languages that what they've done instead is when they would read a passage they would say well i feel like i'm a little bit more divinely inspired than what this page is that that, that is written and inspired by god actually is so i'm more inspired by that i have a new revelation on this passage so i'm going to base the translation that i'm writing off of this new feeling that i got and that's going to be more sufficient than how god's word is actually written and i discourage anybody from reading a bible translation that uses that sort of technique that uses our own thoughts our own emotions opposed to what's actually written on paper as the word of god as its standard the claim to fame of the new apostolic reformation and i don't think that they've brought it up for a long time but or you might even call it in their claim to infamy was this worldwide movement that they had started over the terminal illness of this infant uh, and this had a lot to do with Hillsong Church if you're familiar with Hillsong Church they've been in the news a lot within the past couple years because of problems that they have been having and pastor at the church of Hillsong um, the Hillsong Church said that he had received word from God that this child would be healed, that he would not die of this illness. And so he assured everybody of this, and then the child died. After he got all these people involved, after all these people were praying, after all these people were investing and giving attention to their church, the child passed away. Very sad. And you might think that Maybe they issued an apology that they repented of misleading people that God had told the pastor of Hillsong Church that this child would not die. You would think that they'd give an apology of some sort to explain their misunderstanding. But no, after the child died, the movement, the hype, everything was brushed aside as though nothing had even happened at all. It was a false promise from a false authority and everyone was told to pray as though the prayer had already happened and the child had already been healed. But the new apostolic movement and reformation did not exist in Jesus' day. And they would not be considered pagan anyway, so what on earth was Jesus actually referring to? What was he saying when he said not to pray as pagans with these formulas and repetitions? I think there's no better illustration of what Jesus was referring to than the prophets of Baal that Elijah defeated at Mount Carmel. This event pitted 400 prophets of Baal against Elijah, the one prophet of God. Now, it was a competition not between the prophets, but it was a competition between their gods. You have Baal in one corner, and Yahweh, the God of the Bible, in the other corner, the living God. Uh, and each party was to sacrifice a bull, put it on an altar of wood, pray to their God to light a fire in the wood, and whichever God lit the fire would be deemed the one true God. And long story short, Baal lost. The, ba- the prophets of Baal 
petitioned Bale with great fervor and still lost. They are so passionate and sincere about what it was they believed, but they lost in this competition. 1 Kings 18, 26-29 tells us the story. It says, They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there is no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying. I think that's very descriptive. Frantic prophesying. Until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there is no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now afterwards, Elijah set up a seemingly impossible set of circumstances that would make people think that there's no way that this wood is going to light on fire. And then after Elijah set up these circumstances, he then said a simple prayer to God. God sent down fire and it consumed the wood and the sacrifice. Now, aside from the slashing of their bodies, the prophet of Baal, the prophets of Baal, probably actually sound a lot like some churches that you and I are aware of. In fact, I say that aside from the slashing of themselves, but there are actually even certain churches that promote the idea that maiming your body, by, by, by harming your own body, that that somehow gets the attention of God better than if you just simply humble yourself and pray before God. Don't fall for these holy-looking falsehoods, for these pious ways of prayer that are just false piety, that aren't real prayers at all. You know, I actually used to watch movies about exorcisms, okay? Don't watch movies about exorcisms. I discourage you from doing that. Uh, they are such an insult to the idea of casting out demons, and this actually taints the way we think about prayer as well when we see things like this. The way all these movies go is that the per is that a person starts off, they're possessed, and then what you do is you go to a priest. You summon a priest. The priest arrives with a special robe, special for casting out demons, a special prayer cloth, which is specially designed to cast out demons. A cross around his neck, holy water. And he even has a book full of these repetitious prayers, these repetitious things that he would say that somehow are designed to cast out demons. Now, if you look at the Bible, what it actually says about Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, when it came to casting out demons, the very most they might do in terms of rituals, they might fast. And, and after fasting, if they fasted, all they would do, is they'd approach the person who had a demon inside of them and they would simply say a prayer and cast it out and the demon was gone. That's it. That's all. Nothing special to it. No showiness to it. They just spoke a word and the demon was gone. What does this teach us? God doesn't need your religion in order for him to work. All of these practices that I listed are one, pagan practices, and two, performed only to make a scene, all for the sake of the drama and the show. Was that not what Jesus said 
the Pharisees and the spiritual elite were doing. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was not prohibiting us from praying in public or praying together. Elijah himself gave a public prayer during this contest he had with the prophets of Baal, and God worked. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there, I, there am I with them. So we're allowed to pray outside of our prayer closets. What then were the Pharisees doing that was so abominable in the eyes of Jesus? Well, he tells us that they prayed as hypocrites. Their prayers were prayed to be noticed. In other words, their prayers were completely powerless. They didn't even believe in their own prayers. They prayed because it looked good to pray in front of an audience. And they knew that long prayers, lengthy prayers, that are wordy, with big words, with laced with theology even, would win, not God, but win them praise, and then their scholarly peers would pat them on the back. I don't know why, but the words of Chris Tucker from the movie Rush Hour actually pop out to me at this point. And uh, he said, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? In response to the prayers of the Pharisees and Sadducees, no, nobody understood the words that were coming out of their mouths. These were just worthless, powerless prayers. Jesus said that such people receive their reward already. Now, wait, reward? What do you mean that these people receive a reward? Shouldn't they, why should they be rewarded at all? Shouldn't they be punished? Well, the way that Jesus said it makes it clear that, yes, their reward would actually be a punishment. Praise that lasts just for a moment and then vanishes away. Now, Jesus provided a counterbalance to this futile prayer life. When you go pray, go into your bedroom closet, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, who will see you praying in secret. Now, there's no material incentive for doing this sort of prayer. No one will see you. No one will hear you. No one will praise you for praying by yourself in secret. Only God knows you're doing it. Now, this is all I will tell you about my own private, personal, secret prayer life that some of the best moments in my entire life were spent in personal, private, secret prayer. Jesus said that we would be rewarded for these prayers. What sorts of rewards can we expect? Well, for one, I think that we are more aware in these moments of when God actually answers our prayers because our prayers are more intentional and focused. I believe that when we pray in secret, we are more in tune with the very presence of God. We are drawn nearer to him in relationship. I believe that when we pray in secret, when we have a broken heart, that God provides healing. I, I don't... I'm not necessarily saying that he will fix our problem right there on the spot, but he'll give you assurance. He'll comfort your heart in those moments. And by the way, this is important for all of us to know, that God answers every prayer, but he has three responses that he gives to any given prayer. Number one, yes. Number two, no. And number three, wait. 
So yes, no, and wait. And as evidence for that, that God can't answer a prayer by saying no. The Apostle Paul prayed three times that a thorn be removed from his side. So in some sort of problem he was dealing with, whether it was physical, emotional, or whatever, he prayed three times it would be removed, and God's answer was no. I'm not going to remove that thorn from your side. Jesus, God's only son, when he prayed in the garden that if it was possible to have the cup of God's wrath lifted away from him, taken away from him, that, that God's would be able to be accomplished through some other means, that it would be done. God the Father's answer was no. So don't act like God isn't listening if he says no to your prayer. In fact, it's better for you that way. Ultimately, the reward you will receive has nothing to do with earthly blessings anyway. We await an eternal inheritance. So one final note on that, and this is also very important. I think that you need to pay attention to it, that we can pray in private, but if we can't make a spectacle. So, okay, we know we can pray in private. We know we can pray in our prayer closet, but um, if we are not allowed, I mean, if we're not allowed to make a spectacle in front of people when we pray, how do we pray in public and still maintain our integrity well my simple advice my simple answer is do not pray in public in a way that you would not do in private do not pray in public in a way that you would not do in private so have you pray in private you know if you want to express that in front of other people as well i mean i think that they're you have to be careful not to make a scene anyway not to draw praise yourself anyway but if you pray in private that way and odds are, if you pray in public that way, it's probably a pretty safe bet. When we behave in obedience to God and enjoy Him with all other distractions removed, we store up treasure in heaven, and we will be commended, not by humans, but by Him, by God Himself. I'd like to thank you for joining me for today's sermon. My name is Bill Sang from Faith Presbyterian Church. You can join us on Sunday mornings at 1030 don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.